0: You are now entering the MXU podcast, no credentials required. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 37 of the MXU podcast. My name is Jeff Sandstrom and I'm joined today by our good friend and lighting guru, Daniel Cannell, and our friend Josh Beard, who's joining us today from Houston. Um, go Astros, I guess, Whoop. Um, <laughs> if, if you can do it without cheating. And... Um, <laughs> So how are you guys doing today?
1: Good, man.
2: Josh, good to see you, dude. You
0: as well. It's been a while. Been a minute, yeah. So you guys obviously know each other and have worked together before, so this is going to be a fun conversation. Um, So for those of you who are new to the podcast, um, we've added lately some conversations with some of our friends who work specifically in Lighting to talk about design and just philosophy and some of the why behind what we do in terms of creating uh, lighting elements for shows and churches and conferences and all those kind of things. So it's good for me to always kind of eavesdrop on conversations having to do with things other than audio because I always learn a bunch and I know that you guys will too. So thank you both for being here today. And so let's just jump in. Josh, why don't you tell us some about just how you got into all this and your experience growing up and how you ended up where you are and just some of that story. We'd love to hear that. Yeah, of course. Um, I guess going back to the beginning, uh, I grew up in
2: church, small church, probably seated 1,500 people uh, at the most. Well, I guess it's small small. compared
1: to where I'm at. (laughs) (laughs) Or what? for a long time. Everything's bigger in in Texas, Jeff. We're learning.
2: So, uh, but, yes, grew up, and actually I started out in audio, not saying I know anything about audio, but in my church, that's where we, I went down that route first, um, kind of played with lighting through the youth group, things like that, you know, found out what a par can was pretty quickly because that's about all we could afford. Um, so then I got into audio, uh quickly realized I was not as talented as my brother in that field um, <laughs> and thought maybe I should try something different. So You saw the light? I saw the light. <laughs> I saw the light. Made the jump, but uh, realized in high school maybe I was a little more artistic and realized there was a lot more to lighting than at park <laughs> Uh I remember stories of my parents saying that I would like sketch out concert lighting rigs and stuff growing up like just on paper having fun uh so my brother being in audio at Lakewood here in Houston I would he's six years older than me want to point that out he's definitely older regardless of what (laughs) people think uh but yeah so we we would come visit him in Houston because we lived about two hours east of Houston and uh I met Tom Stanziano at the time, who was the lighting director at Lakewood. And I was still in high school, so we'd only come out once or twice a year when we could. And Tom would always let me sit with him, uh, which I knew nothing officially about lighting at this point. And he said, after you graduate high school, why don't you come work for me? And I was like, okay, cool. And that, that was really about as far as the conversation went. And then I remember being... Like, I graduated high school. I was like, I don't really know what I'm going to do. I never really reached back out to Tom because I didn't think he was serious. I wasn't too serious about it. And so I moved to Houston after high school and went to work for Tom as a spot op and just kind of like assistant role, like, where where can I help? And uh, so I was like, well... I guess I'll be a spot op and I'm going to be a tech and work. So like on the weekends, I would run follow spot during the week. We would do maintenance on the rig, which I don't know if you know about Lakewood or not, but it is a massive building. And I quickly learned I do not like heights. That's terrible. <laughs> terrible.
0: Yeah. So so this was what year? Uh, 2007. Okay. So when did when did the church take over the arena from the Rockets?
2: Uh, well, they were already there in 2007. I want to say they'd been there one or two years at that point.
0: Yeah. So for those of you who don't know, who are listening, uh, Lakewood Church bought the old basketball arena from the Houston Rockets. And so when you say you're afraid of heights, this is a grid yeah. that is a legit arena size room yeah, you're I think, not talking about a little one-man lift where you're going up 20 feet i mean no. the, the, i s- think the, the high steel is, is
2: 115 feet roughly yeah
0: this is this is a real deal arena so for a 18 year old 19 year old kid at the time yeah, you're like it was freaking out a little bit yeah, oh I, I spent a week in that cat in that catwalk one day oh
2: yeah so you can get <laughs> lost up there and it's big i mean they they put a lot into it as well a lot of reinforcements to the structural side of that thing so we had like a three-tier catwalk over the stage in any lighting position you can think of you you can hit which is awesome but when it comes to maintenance there's a lot to do (laughs) and being yeah being afraid of heights that was uh that was an interesting one because i just kind of had to suck it up but it made me realize you know if i can learn that console down there I can get out of this catwalk. <laughs> so
1: that's, that's what I did. That's a
0: good good ambition.
1: I think the lesson here is you didn't go straight to a console from oh, you, you actually had to not. learn all the all the mechanics oh. side of it first. I think oh. that sometimes gets lost nowadays.
2: I well yeah, I think a lot of people think you were you're just privileged and you were in the right place at the right time and okay. yes I was, but I wasn't at the top. I was at the right, right. place to learn which yeah. I think yeah. I wouldn't be where I'm at today had I not got the knowledge for two years prior of just being in the catwalk, honestly. like it. But you still had to pay your dues. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. I remember times that a little quarter-ton chain motor that we would use to lift VLs up and down went out, but you got to swap the light. Well, go get a pulley and a rope. <laughs> and mm-hmm. every pull on a light that size, it <laughs> gets heavier yeah. each time. Yep. Now take it. Now take it. Eighty-five feet up. <laughs> yeah, yep.
0: gravity is a pretty strong force when you're pulling that oh, high 100%. off the ground.
2: And let me go back to like real quick. Follow spots in that place at the time were not anything new. It was the same follow spots from when they took over the building. So it was these super troopers with two thousand watt bulbs in them, massive heat coming out them. So you're sitting by a heater, the light could blow up. It's a it's a bomb. <laughs> You, you can't run one in a short sleeve shirt because you're on burn as no. it's resting. You got to have on top of it. Yep. yep. And gloves. And so, yeah, it, it definitely pushed me to want to get better
0: at staying on the ground. <laughs> but the good thing about that, to Daniel's point, is you learn so much because not only are you just going up and down, plugging stuff in, but you're having to learn about signal flow and learn about you know, obviously DMX and all of the yeah. addressing and all the all the maintenance that's required for all the fixtures and, and all that. So that when you do come down from the sky and get to program stuff, you have a different perspective on what the console is actually yeah. doing. It's, mm-hmm. it's not just, you know, moving faders and pushing buttons, but you're actually creating an, an expression through the technology. Well, yeah, and it's like,
2: I think from a design point of view, it's, you know what that light does because you're teching the gear. You know what's inside of it. You know what it's capable of. Um, And I think that a lot of people don't always know they're specing gear just because it's cool, not because they know what it does.
1: Um, You know, I can tell the difference in LDs. I understand the physical aspect of what it takes to get a rig up and down and the ones that did just go straight to a console somehow when they got started. There's different appreciation and there's a different way of thinking about how you're going to design a rig to actually be able to make it function not just for the audience but for the guys having to get it in and out every day. There's a, an organizational aspect to it. Once you've been right. the one up there dealing with all that, you think a little differently about it.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, and I think uh, as even great. things of like I've spent a little bit of time in some production shops that I would just do it to help out and learn. And so you quickly learn in a design, well, hey, look, a Sako has six legs. So maybe don't spec seven fixtures. <laughs> On on a trust, like then you got to run a whole new line. Things like that, you pick up
0: on it. That'll preach. So. Just little simple tips from Daniel and Josh today. A lot of guys are learning already. Yeah, I <laughs> don't even know what Socopex is, and now they've already learned. Yeah. I'm not I sure. Put didn't seven know. fixtures on a six leg saco. That's <laughs> yeah. good. So, um, how often were you guys making changes to the rig, just design wise at Lakewood? Like, what's your What's the schedule of? Okay, we're going to do a new set or new designs or modify stuff. I mean, it was never.
2: It was never like a timeline per se. Like every six months, we're going to do this. Every whatever. Yeah, uh, that was never the case there. It was more just. Obviously, Lakewood, in a sense, is a big TV studio, so you got to be conscious of that. Everything mm-hmm. they do there is going to be on camera, which is. I think when you're learning, I don't think I, I wouldn't want to go back and do it any other way because I stay conscious, even on shows that aren't for broadcast, it's like beat into me now, <laughs> which is, I guess, good and bad sometimes. It's hard to get out of that. For a long time, it was hard for me to think outside of, well, I gotta have backlight, I gotta have front light. I gotta have three quarter light, things like that. And I think that that was always a thing at Lakewood was yes we can make changes but there's some things that you
1: just can't change and so actually josh will put back push back on you on that a little bit you know the think about it, what event is not on video nowadays you know you're, you're talking about how um you know you've you've got this habit you've almost had to try and break of, of lighting everything for video and actually I'm gonna argue with you and say I think that's a huge positive because even if you don't have iMag in the room, you know, if you're at one of your chain smoker shows, if you guys don't have iMag and you're not, you know, broadcasting, you still have thousands of people in the audience with camera phones videoing this. So just about any event. So I'd say that's actually a, a great way that you learn and have to approach it now is if you are constantly thinking, maybe we're not lighting specifically for video, but somehow it's gonna be captured on video. Like you're yeah. you're already a step ahead. That's
2: Fun. awesome. Hey, I appreciate it. I'll take the compliment when I can get it.
1: That's the only one we'll give you, (laughs) though.
0: So, talk for a minute, Josh, about the transition from starting out at Lakewood as a trust monkey and moving to, you know, not just moving downstairs and sitting behind a desk, but then how that led to, you know, touring and other events and where you are now with some of the stuff you've gotten to do yeah so uh i was
2: i guess still at lakewood and it would have been i was there for 10 years so 2007 to, and i'm still technically kind of there uh, so i started my own company while i was still at lakewood so visual edge here out of houston uh, i was like On the side, I remember I was about to get married in 2013 and I was like, I need to make some extra money. So I was doing all these like odds and ends, like side gigs, Uh, just corporate events, little one night shows in town that someone didn't have an LD. So I'd go do that. And I was like, I think I would want to own my own company one day. So I wanted to have a design firm. We don't really have one per se in houston and i i thought maybe here's a hole in the market that i could potentially get into and uh so while still working i start visual edge with a buddy of mine and really trying to get that thing off the ground i i met mike who i'll explain who mike is in a minute mike 808 is pivotal in the story of josh beard leaving lakewood church (laughs) and I remember being on a show, and I don't know Mike at the time. I'm filling in for some random LD at some random venue here in Houston, and uh, do the show. Years later, I decide, you know what? I I'm hearing about these guys called the Chainsmokers, so I'm going to go to the show in San Antonio. Just want to get out, I want to see someone else's work who at the time was Corey Fitzgerald, was the designer for Chainsmokers. Oh yeah. And uh, which is a huge name, if you don't know him, looking him up, I'll be shocked if you're not impressed. And so I wanted to go see his show, go to San Antonio. I'm just on Instagram doing some live videos. And he, uh, Mike808, sends me a message on Instagram after watching my stories, and he was like, hey, man, would have been great to meet you. Hope you enjoyed the show. And that's all the message says. So I click on his profile. There's no picture. All it says is Mike 808. And I'm like, well, who's this guy? So I just (laughs) reply back, and I was like, thanks. Who are you? And he's like, oh, I'm the production designer for the show. (laughs) And I was like, really, question mark? Like, you have no (laughs) photos? (laughs) what is this name (laughs) and uh he says well i i own a company called production club out of la which he's one of the partners there and so i start looking up production club and i'm like oh maybe this guy is legit and uh so he says well our studios are out here in la uh why don't you come by sometime it'd be great to meet you and i'm thinking is this guy like legit does is?" Is he actually the production designer? Because the chances that this guy just direct messages me is crazy to start with. I didn't even know he followed me.
0: Um, So I said, "You think you might just be messaging some Nigerian prince who wants money from the internet?" I gave him my social security number because it
1: felt right.
0: He seemed like he really needed the money. I can finally tell you. I can finally tell
1: you. Years later, it was me, Josh. (laughs) Me the whole time. Sorry. Are you Mike? I am Mike eight oh eight in the flesh. So, I tell
2: him, I'm going to be in L.A. in a couple weeks. Would love to meet you. So, I don't even know if he knows this part of the story. I had zero intentions. I had no trip booked. Like, I made up that part that I would be there in a couple weeks. But I was like, you know what? I'm going to book a flight and go meet this guy. Fake it till you make it. Hey. (laughs) I thought he was, so... All, all all the good people do.
0: So Absolutely. Yeah.
2: So I fly to L.A. I remember landing at like 11 o'clock at night. And he sends me the address to his office. And I'm thinking I'm just going to go to the hotel and I'll come by tomorrow. He's like, oh, no, come straight over. We're still here working. And I'm like, oh, man, it's late. Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? And he's in like Chinatown of L.A. And it's just like warehouses. And I'm like, oh, dude, I'm definitely going to die. So... So I text Mike. I'm like, hey, dude, I think I'm outside. And this, this guy comes downstairs. He's got long hair, flat brim hat, backwards, one pant leg, rolled ups. I mean, it's the epitome of like creative director, which he claims he's not. But he is a creative genius. I love Mike. He's a great guy. He takes me upstairs there's a bunch of people like designing and they're at render farms and all kinds of stuff and i'm like what is going on in this place whatever it is i want to be a part of it it's so cool (laughs) and uh so he introduces me as his friend josh and at this point we literally just like hang out we talk about the show and he ends the we go downstairs to this little pizza joint super late he uh we chat for a couple hours and then he's we go our separate ways sort of thing. He's like, you stay in touch, I'll stay in touch. And I go back to normal. I'm still at Lakewood at this point trying to get my company off the ground. Um, and then I'd say six months later, he texts me randomly one day. He's like, hey, dude, uh, chain smokers are looking for a new LD. Are you interested? I'm like, well, of course I'm interested, but I what's that mean? Like, how <laughs> Can it support me? Because my company's not big enough to support me. And I have a pretty solid gig here at Lakewood. Like, I don't really want to just walk away from that. Um, And he says, he gives me some details. And then the next day he texts me and he's like, hey, sorry, I don't think it's going to work out. And I'm like, all right, cool, no big deal. So I go back to doing the normal thing. And I was like a little disappointed. I'm like, oh, it would have been cool. But I was like, hey, it's not the right time. And I'm okay with that. Like, I'm cool waiting. The the right moment will present itself. Uh, so just kept doing my thing uh, at Lakewood, doing side gigs, still hustling because I want to make a name for myself. <laughs> and I'd say it was about three to four months later, he hits me up again. And I believe I was in New York in a hotel. I remember getting out of the shower and seeing <laughs> Mike Eddowate's name on my phone. And I was like, oh, what's this guy want? Like... Are we about to do this all again? And uh, he said, hey, they're looking for a new LD. The last guy didn't work out. And I'm like, well, what happened? He was like, well, they went on some crazy run where they had 11 shows in 10 days in Asia. And that guy just didn't cut it. And I'm like, well, most wouldn't. Like, what are you talking about? That's an insane schedule. Is that
0: what you're asking me to sign up for? Because I might have to give that a second thought.
2: And like, I hadn't even talked to my wife yet. He's like, listen, they're looking for another LD. Are you interested? If so, I'm going to give your info to the tour manager. And I'm like, I'm definitely interested. So I guess let's get the ball rolling. I hadn't even talked to my wife yet because I'm on this other gig in New York. And I get a call from the tour manager. And he's like, "Uh, can you send me a photo of your passport? And I'm like, this is how the conversation started.
0: (laughs) And I'm like. (laughs) Because you're coming to wherever we are tomorrow. And
2: and so I I remember, like, getting back to Houston. I'm talking to my wife. It's a Wednesday at Lakewood, I think. So we have service this night. And this guy's, like, trying to get my passport. And I'm like, I don't even know if I can get off of work. Like, what what is going on? I don't even know how many people know this story or this side of the story. (laughs) So y'all are all very lucky. I've only heard bits. (laughs) I remember telling my wife, hey, they need, they're need, they looking for an LD to go to Australia for two weeks. And I'm like, I haven't used any of my vacation at Lakewood. So I, I was very honest with Lakewood. I told them exactly what was going on. I had nothing to hide. I uh, have a good relationship with them. And I was like, I, I have this opportunity. I don't know if I can miss it. Like, it, it's a big one. And my boss was very gracious about it. He was like, take your vacation and we'll talk when you get back. So I I flew to L.A., my wife was cool with everything, which we had had conversations way prior to these ever happening. Like, we knew something like this would happen one day. And so she and I have an amazing wife. I thank her for letting me take the opportunities that I've had because had I not taken that opportunity, I wouldn't be where I'm at now. But I remember going to L.A., and they were like, I sit in production clubs, pre studios for – two days just kind of learning the show what to expect. They had a previous file from the last tour, the Memories Do Not Open Tour, that I used to kind of learn the show. And uh, I knew our first show was gonna be in San Francisco actually. So we did like a corporate event in San Francisco. And it's not just like we were in like an arena. We were in the San Francisco baseball stadium. This is my first show ever with them. I've not met the whole team I'm just kind of getting thrown to the wolves. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. And then they were like, I, I thought we were the only band. And then I realized Ellie Goulding was opening for us. And I'm like, what have I gotten myself into? Like, I feel like I should be going before Ellie Golding. <laughs> like, how are we the headliner right now? This is crazy. And it's in. so first time, this show was not time-coded. It was a complete punt. And I didn't, there was no set list. And I'm like, what? <laughs> we're just going right. to
1: do it? Real talk, how'd it go?
2: I felt like it went terrible. <laughs> <laughs> they were all happy. But yeah. I was like, this, dude, that was the worst hour and a half of my life. I was just like, how is this going on right now? And I think part of it was excitement and nervous. and I mean, how do you prepare for something like that coming from a church gig? Not just a church gig, but uh, it's just yeah complete shift of what i was used to and totally different world literally yeah. got on a plane the day after the san francisco show flew to australia for 2 weeks and this is a guy that's never been outside of the us i think i'd been to mexico and canada kind of thing like i didn't travel prior to any of that so yeah it was a it was a 180 shift from what i was used to i mean but I think part of it was waiting for the right time and just taking the step of faith, knowing that I knew I could do it, but it was convincing myself that I could do it. So that's where I'm at
0: now. That's so cool. Yeah. Well, it it speaks to just the, the consistency of the relationship with Mike 808. It's like, you know, just staying in touch and staying available and being open and, you know sometimes a call will happen and hey it's not going to work out but that's no reason to just cut off ties or to not keep in touch or to not you know continue to hone your craft cuz when that call does come it's like man the trust that they had that you would be ready and then the the confidence that you had in yourself to go yeah i can i can do a show on the fly at you know san francisco giant stadium and be okay you know it's which a show on the fly
2: was something i had never really done like i was so used to cue stacking and busking wasn't a thing like i never had to wow and that alone was a learning curve for sure
1: yeah but if had you tried to wait until you thought like you're you're ready for it before you took an opportunity like this you think you'd ever take an opportunity like this like, whoever no. feels like they're ready, yeah. you know, and I think that's that's where a lot of people get tripped up is they're like, well, I'm not quite ready yet. I'm going to pass now. Well, you know, you either going got to jump and go and yeah. ask a show in the middle of San Francisco Stadium or stay at yep. home. Like,
2: Which is funny because the last time I had been in that stadium was with Joel as a huh. night of hope. So it was <laughs> two wow. very different scenarios. <laughs> you ever invite Joel to your shows? All the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He hasn't made it right? yet, yeah, just pointing that front out. Row, uh, <laughs> yeah. well,
1: that I'm aware I, of. <laughs> I think he can. So um <laughs> that's awesome, man. That is awesome. So really big
2: credit to Mike. Blow and go for like two years straight. 52 countries
0: wow. in two years. So that's amazing.
1: Big jump, obviously, big change. Yeah. What part of like obviously you know, as we said a second ago, you, you never really feel prepared for something like that, but Obviously, deep down, you you had some preparation that allowed you to, you know, uh, elevate to the moment. Um, What what do you feel like in your history, like most helped with that? Like, you know, church production can be an interesting thing at times. And I think there's some places, you know, we we need to keep learning stuff. And there's some places where, like, I think we're better prepared for certain things than, than people that come from other parts of the industry. Like what what helped you?
2: I think once Lakewood got into there, we're going to do youth conferences type thing and maybe – because when I first started there, youth conferences weren't a thing. We didn't really have a creative director. But once we got into that, okay, now there's a creative team. Now we're going to start doing conferences. I think as they all do, changes come last minute. So being able Mm. to adapt like – for years at lakewood here's the schedule here's the set list we're doing it it was a machine but now it's a little more open to we're we're gonna change things happen last minute you know that song didn't work saturday night so for sunday morning being able to adapt was huge and i think that that definitely prepared me for where we're at
1: now there is, uh, you know, for, for any of us that have spent time touring, you know, there's a lot of the last minute adaption comes from the the building you're in, the crew you're working with, whether the gear works or not from whatever company it came from. There's all those physical aspects. Then you also have the band themselves. So, like, how does that, how are the chain smokers when it comes to that? Is it, they'll throw anything in at last minute? And you kind of touched on this a minute ago, but kind of getting into the, the nerd speak aspect of things a little bit. Um, you know, as I've, like, Gone through my career in the beginning, time code hardly existed, and none of us really used right. it
0: right. Yeah, or now
1: we're seeing it all the time. Um, and that's a you know, I think it, there's a lot of question, especially with younger guys, about when I should be using it, what's it for, you know, all those things. So, like, I guess that's it. How I, I'm kind of asking two or three questions at once here. Like, how are your guys, as far as last minute changes, do they throw curveballs at you like once the show has already started? Um, do you guys use all time code? Do you use half and half? Do you use a blend? What you know, kind of what's the approach to, yeah, all, all so.
2: That? I'd say from a a band point of view, it just depends. So we have three different shows that we do. We have what we call DJ, which is just Drew and Alex on some CDJs in the booth. Then we have a hybrid show where it's still Drew and Alex, but we add the drummer who's in and out throughout the show, um, just playing along to those tracks. And then we have the band show, which is the same three people, but Alex then moves to keys and synth and drummers there the whole time. Drew is out front, front man, because we go very, they're a hybrid group. It's a it's a pop show with an EDM side of things. So the show's a lot of fun in the sense of it's gonna go up and down of, you know, we're singing closer something just like this. And then that transitions into a 15 minute DJ set. And all those shows are completely different. Like there's not a chance I could use the same show file for all three, uh, I'm gonna band- I'm gonna pause you there.
1: Tell me why. Like, is it, and I, I think I feel like I know the answer to this, but for people listening that don't, like, yeah. arrangement, band involvement, is it is there a different energy level? Like, because I think some of this can factor into like programming for worship, weirdly enough.
2: Yeah. So, DJ sets and hybrid sets that that's pretty much the same for for me regarding the way that I'm gonna approach that show. I know that I'm most likely not gonna get a set list and. It's going to be on the fly. Now, I know what to expect at this point from their from their shows. But a band show, they're going to be rehearsing ahead of time. So there's going to be, the show is 90 minutes long, and I'm going to know exactly what to expect in those 90 minutes. And that show, I would time code. Because more than likely, we've done a version of it in the past. So I can just adjust things, maybe move things around. Um, But yeah, two very different approaches from those. Because when we are doing the DJ hybrid shows, I mean, those are festivals 90% of the time. And Mm -hmm. you know what? I maybe had 45 minutes to prep for that.
0: In the daylight.
2: Yeah, exactly. And, And honestly, we'll go from three DJ slash hybrid shows to one band show back to three hybrid into two band and it's just back and forth and so I actually love the band shows because I kind of get to take a break not a break but it's not as many button presses and it's more of babysitting something that I know is going to run perfectly because that they're insanely tight
1: it's probably a different experience for you, too. Like, I'm speaking for myself here, but I bet, I bet you have a similar situation where when you run that time-coded event, there's an enjoyment of watching all the work you've put in previously and how refined it is and how yeah. exact it is, and, and you can enjoy that. And then when you have to run one on the fly, like, when I have to do that, I don't feel it looks as good.
2: Exactly. But I enjoy
1: the experience of almost having to play along with the band. Yeah. So you almost feel like another member of it at that point of, like, I'm, I'm engaging and you can't... You can't let up. You can't take a break. You can't step back and, you know, take a drink of water. Like, you're just, your hands on the console the whole time, and you're just kind of holding yeah. on to the razor's edge there, trying to keep up. Absolutely. Right. And I
2: miss that because I, so I was a drummer growing up. Still, I guess I still am. I haven't played in years, but I get to play drums with lights. And if you've ever watched one of my shows, I'm very, like, kick-snare-oriented with my timing on things and I like to find little synth notes and things that I hear in the music that maybe not everybody hears, but if I can highlight it, it'll pull it out of the music. So I like to find That's those cool. little things and and make it something.
1: I will say, and this is especially aimed at any young guys listening, the best LDs I've ever met and worked with are ones that have some sort of musician background, yeah. them, especially drums. You know, I know of a couple that have maybe done stuff more guitar or keyboard related, but... If you understand, not just it's not just how to play it, but the the timing of music, like the language of music, translating that to lighting in your head is so much easier than for those of us like me. I mean, I I didn't. So, um, but yeah, without fail, like I, I've even had run the great LDs before, and I went, "What instrument do you play?" Right. Like, well, how do you know? You oh,
0: can usually tell.
1: You can tell absolutely. Yeah.
0: So for the for the DJ or hybrid sets, do you have? certain things that are just sort you said you don't use a show file typically but do you have certain things that are locked to a certain bpm or are you doing all that just on the fly uh i mean maybe this
2: is getting nerdy but (laughs) do do it there's i have a bpm fader that's locked for i've got one for like speed of color dimmer and then a separate one for pan tilt so going a little deeper here (laughs) So things can, I can pick, do I want groups of two, groups of four, groups of eight, and I usually divide things by that number because I can do it live quickly with a macro that then adjust, Mm -hmm. okay, I know that four on the floor is coming up here soon, so I can punch up groups of four, and I know all my lights are going to chase to that. And I can also just hit a button to the beat of the music that's going to learn the tap tempo of it. And then I've got a couple reset buttons to like 120, things like that that are just standard in EDM uh, that I can punch up yep. uh, just at the click of a button and know that I can get my BPMs kind of reset back to that. Um, so that is how I approach the the DJ and hybrid sets is I'm, I've got buttons that are <laughs> temps that they're just... They're on, then they're off, and I can punch that with my fingers if I don't like what the uh, what the chase was doing. Um, And sometimes it just doesn't work.
1: You can change it before the audience usually even notices, is what I've seen. Yeah, exactly. You're you're staring at the rig; they're staring at the band. You fire it up, you get like two seconds into the chase, and go, "Oh, nope." Exactly. Just don't go this way. Yeah.
2: Well, and sometimes just some of these rigs we've encountered at festivals. Not every effect works like you think it's going to work. Uh,
1: you you don't get your exact gear package at every <laughs> festival? What? Oh, I it's, always did, man. I don't know what's going on there.
2: Man, I pre-programmed with 12 lights, and this festival has 400 beams. Like, that's yeah. in some random configuration. Beam, yeah. Like, I've been yeah, to so the that's smallest. Set up for somebody
0: else. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I've been to the smallest to the largest, and they're all...
0: Different. <laughs> Shocking, yeah. I know. Um, so last year I saw you, um, I was at Lollapalooza with Lauren Daigle. Oh. And you guys were headlining that night. Um, I could see Lauren from front of house. I remember this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you were kind of on a neighboring yeah. a neighboring stage. But um, after her set, we kind of went over to check out the set, and it was, it was awesome. So I had not seen Chainsmokers Live before then. And uh, it was great. That was a big show. It was huge and nerve wracking.
2: Just yeah, that's a big stage to headline in general. Like these are—it's all festivals that I had like heard about growing up. I didn't think I'd ever be a headlining show on them.
0: (laughs) No, and all the years that I was with Tomlin, you know, we would headline the biggest Christian festivals. They don't even come close to some of these. I mean, we were at Lollapalooza, Outside Lands you know, Firefly, all these big secular festivals. And, you know, Lauren, obviously, because she doesn't have a ton of traction in those markets yet, we had the, it was actually fun. We played like the four or five Mm o'clock, you know, support to the support to the headliner set. And so we'd be done by dinner time. So then we got to spend the evening running around and seeing everybody else, uh, the headliner stuff. So I got to see you guys and it it was awesome. So... That was a festival
2: that we knew we were headlining, and they said, Josh, can you come up with a with a design for this? And so we at Visual Edge sat down briefly because I was leaving so, some other trip, and I'm like, you know what? We only got one day to really get this design out the door and approved. So we throw this thing together, and I'm thinking, shoot high, because, you know, I'm from the church world. Shoot high. You're probably going to get 30% cuts, 50%, whatever. And they're like, yeah, it looks great. And I'm like, so what do we need to cut? Nothing. And I'm like, I don't think it, I don't think it actually fits. I'm like, there's no way this is going to go on the stage. And uh, I think we ended up bringing in, it was 400 fixtures on a festival stage that no one else could use. So then you got to be able to hide it. <laughs> and Dude, it was insane. Wow. But that show was a fun one. I, I remember it like it was yesterday. And so you, you get a rig that size. We pre-programmed for a week, actually, while we were in London. And then we had, I think, two hours the night before the show to test everything. So two hours. So you essentially get to run the set once and hope that everything worked
0: hope right. Hope that it looks okay. Looks
2: like it did in your head. And that's one that's mm-hmm. broadcast, so it's like it's on camera. Oh, and we had 13 guest artists, and we never did a full run-through with all of them. Holy cow. It was, dude, it was intense. <laughs> Lollapalooza was nuts. <laughs> did,
1: did they bring in a gaffer just for the, the broadcast portion, or did you have to do all that too? Uh, no, I had to do all that. Yeah, fun stuff.
2: So, yeah, it was uh, it was a lot going on. Obviously, there's things that I look back and I watch that show, and I'm like, man, I wish I'd have done this different. But it's like you never get to see it on camera until you're there. And
1: it's just. Josh, when you quit doing that, re- retire. Yeah, yeah. When, we, <laughs> when you quit looking back and seeing what could be done differently, it's time to That's hang your hat, man. That's true. So, we a second ago we kind of talked about like what helped prepare you to get into this. So, so speaking of, of looking back on things, what like have you got to pick up during this time? We're going, man. You know, this would really be cool to have applied in the Lakewood days. Is there a programming approach? Is there just like? The way you got you you've learned to approach and deal with problems and rigs and programming or like anything coming yeah. on? I mean
2: one thing I wish I'd have learned prior to taking that step of moving from church to what I'm doing now is uh, cloning <laughs> yeah <laughs> I still don't fully understand it it's there's so many ways to do it but that's something that will save you a ton of time. But I never had to use that when I was at Lakewood. I
0: wish I'd have learned it. Um Can you guys unpack that a little bit? Because for those of us who aren't familiar with that, just talk us through what that what that is and what it means. And I don't even know
2: if I answered that question right, but it's something I wanted to touch on.
1: <laughs> yeah. Josh, why don't you give an overview like of kind of what that is for everybody and, and I think yeah, you know, I think I think I could see where you're going with this as far as how it can actually apply to some good church situations. Yeah.
2: So I mean, cloning in its basic understanding would be you programmed the show originally with 12 fixtures upstage in a row on the floor. Well, when you're going to another show, maybe you don't have those same 12 fixtures, but you have 12 of something. You might only have six of something. It, the you quantity is 24. Right. Yeah. The, it doesn't really matter quantity wise. You just know it's going to be different. So you can take that information that you had originally and say, go from A. To B, B being the new fixtures.
1: And to dumb it down even more, we're specifically talking about, like, in the Grand MA lighting console. Yes,
2: in, in MA, yeah. I guess cloning is a thing in others, but I don't know if it's the same way. I, it is, but other consoles don't exist. Right. That's true, <coughs> amen. <laughs> the Lord is shining on us right now. There you go. <laughs> but anyways, yeah, that's cloning in its simplest form.
1: So you could take, you know, say it a different way, you could have 12 Vipers, and then you find yourself in a situation where you instead of twelve Vipers you have, you know, six BMFLs, but then you also have we're gonna make it a really weird one here, then you also have like thirty Sharpies to go along with it. Yeah. There's a way to clone into that, but it's kind of a nightmare at that point. But listen so, like you guys will program based on what you want like your ideal rig. And then how often do you feel like you actually get your ideal rig?
0: Fifty percent?
1: So, okay, never. All right. <laughs> but you get your four hundred fixtures at at uh yeah, but that was uh, a totally different show. All right, there you go. <laughs> so you're constantly having to go, okay, and this is what I've found, and this is, I think, sort of what I'm driving at. Like, I like I personally don't have to do a ton of cloning anymore. Yeah. Most of the time, when we're designing programming, it's for one event. We know what it's going to exactly. be. Exactly. You know, we're, we're taking it in. But in my previous life, I had to do it a ton. Um, and what I found is there's there's the understanding the function of the console and how to do it, but then there's, like, a, an abstract headspace thing you have to get into to be able to go, oh, well, I know the rig myself well enough to know that this fixture was originally intended to do this, and I don't even have a fixture in that place anymore. Yeah, exactly. But I can apply it to somewhere else in the rig and doing it where it doesn't screw everything up. You know, we had to do it with uh, Elevation's last tour. Had some interesting cloning going on. And yeah, I- I'll leave names out to protect the innocent, but uh, I, got to, I got to pull back uh, from my, my Wayback Machine and help educate some young lads on proper cloning approaches. Yeah. So It's an art for sure.
2: Yeah, and I've had to do some odd things where, like, I programmed the show with flares upstage, which flares a strobe slash wash that you can use. It's non moving. Um, But we're going to some weird festival that, you know, they've got a row of Sharpies up there. So I literally (laughs) just used the Sharpies. They never moved. I just 90 tilt straight out, and they did the exact same thing. They would change color and they would strobe. (laughs) And people looked at me weird, but it worked. Like, it's it's got the same attributes.
1: How often have you had that happen? And the end results, you're like, oh, wow, that's actually cooler than the other light I had doing this. Oh, dude, that happens a lot. <laughs> yeah. I'm like,
2: man, I wish I'd expect this. Like, and yeah. But that's things that I can think of going down the road. Oh, man, this worked one time. And it was amazing.
1: Yeah. That is definitely something I miss about not touring uh, like I used to is there's a... It kind of it hones you quickly, versus kind of having to work in the same space all the time. Yeah. Hey, changing gears for just a second. Uh, give yourself guess a a plug. Like, what do you guys do down there? Like, you probably I also own a business, and I people ask me this a lot. Like, what what, what all do you do? So, at Visual Edge, what all do you guys do now? Like, what what services do you provide for people? Kind of. Like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so,
2: Visual Edge started with me and one other guy who um, I was kind of more of in the designing programming side of things and he's has a background in rigging and more technical on that side so like the two of us together kind of made a team uh we realized in the process of like doing the odds and ends jobs like why are we working for someone else like we could do the same Mm -hmm. thing most likely better because it's we i feel like some of these companies just get a little too big kind of lose attention to detail, and I was like, you know, we could come in, we're small, let's pay attention to the details and make the client happy.
0: Offer personal service and boutique.
2: (laughs) So that's how Visual Edge started. And then so me and Jonathan started the thing, and then we had a friend of ours named Ian who was the lighting director at Second Baptist here in town, who the three of us, essentially best friends, Uh, Ian wasn't in a place – in the beginning, to to really join us, uh, but now the three of us share the ownership, and so it's, it's been fun working with my best friends for the last several years.
1: And still do a lot of church projects and a lot of church projects. Kind of, yeah,
2: yeah. So I'd say people know me from mm-hmm. Lakewood. People know Ian from Second Baptist, and so that's kind of the world that we're in down here. Um, and those are both clients that we still have through Visual Edge now. Uh, Joel wanted to keep me involved at Lakewood as most as I could be. Mm -hmm. And then uh, same thing with Second Baptist, Ian was there for years. They're comfortable with him, they understand it. So we're able to offer them our services of design, programming, operation, uh, because both of those two churches specifically, they do a lot of extracurricular, Outside of just Sunday morning or Wednesday night, mm-hmm. there's a lot that goes on, and so we're able to offer them um, all those design, programming, operation, anything up that that alley we can do. And same thing for cool. like some of these smaller Christian tours right now. Like we offer yeah. production design. Uh, we actually have previs here in Houston, uh, a couple consoles that are available, and so we're able to bring the touring clients through here and prep their shows. And we don't own fixtures per se. We have partners that we do that with, but when it comes to like consoles, the technical side of it, front of house racks, that kind of thing, that's what we, that's what our foot
1: is in right now. And um, what I like about y'all's story is, uh, and you know, I feel like you and I share some similarities, but kind of almost exactly opposite. I started out touring, came into church world, started out church world, came into touring. So I feel like when you can start to blend a lot of that together, like, I imagine there's a lot you're from what you've been doing with chain smokers that you're now able to bring back to church clients and keep elevating yeah, where all, all of us in the church world or how we're doing our craft. So, you know, we yeah. talked, our last podcast with was uh, with Brian. And, uh, you yeah, I feel like the same thing with him without being with Fireplay now. You know, he's not doing, you know, work in the church world, but still has that connection to all of us. Like, it, that used to never be the case. It was like you either worked in one or the other. Right. It's started very to see, intertwined now starting to see some overlap. I think it's just, it's helping the entire industry as people continue to do that.
0: So speaking of that, let's um, take a few minutes and uh, this is, I didn't prep you for this question. So it's kind of <laughs> kind out. of popcorn. No, Uh-oh. it's it's, <laughs> but just in thinking about that, like as you, because you work with church clients a lot and because you came from a place like Lakewood, that's enviable to a lot of people in terms of just the gear and the rig and all that, like what is just a couple, maybe two or three pieces of advice that you could give to a, a TD or an LD at a smaller church, even smaller than the one you grew up in to go, okay, you have fewer fixtures, You know, maybe you don't have access to the same kind of budgets and the same kind of you know, conferences and scale that, that I have. But here's some general things to think about when you're doing a design or when you're Talking to leadership about how to stretch yourselves or yeah. whatever that is. Just are there a couple of things that come to mind that might be helpful to some of the smaller guys who are really trying to be excellent?
2: Yeah. Uh, I think a big win for me, like looking back on things, I think from a TD point of view, if you have someone that's younger, new at it, encourage them to ask questions but also don't be hard on them whenever it's not right because you got to leave room for them. If you're just constantly, no, that's not right. No, that's not right. That's discouraging. And that person's probably never going to grow and they're probably not even going to want to stay in the industry. So I think being open and patient is big from a TD point of view, but then from the other side of it, if you are that person that doesn't know everything, it's okay to ask questions. It's always okay to ask questions and be open to some good criticism be open to learning. Uh, There's so many resources online. Like, go learn. Like, just watch YouTube, Google whatever it is that you don't feel like you're strong at because there's going to be some kind of resource for exactly what you're doing. Someone's already done it wrong. So go learn from them. And if you do it wrong in a live scenario, just don't do it twice. (laughs) Learn
1: from that (laughs) mistake. Just don't act like you did and no one
0: will think you did. Exactly. Act as a... That's funny. That's good. So looking back in that vein, like when when you think about, you know, being exposed to um the guys at Lakewood the first time through your brother when you're just a teenager, what was it about you or what was it in you that led that guy to say, hey, call me if you ever want to come work for me. I mean, because there had to be some kind of connection, whether it was something about your personality or your inquisitiveness or your work ethic or something that kind of sparked that initial relationship. So what do you think that was that people could learn from? I Man, we had to do a personality test
2: at Lakewood. I don't even remember which one it was, but woo was my number two, which is winning others over. And I guess that could be good, bad, I don't know but i feel like i i don't usually have a bad connection with anyone like it's i I've, I've never met a stranger <laughs> and i feel like that's helped me in the process um and i think just giving respect where it's due like i didn't come in acting like i knew everything and i still don't uh lord talking to daniel is never easy when it gets to gear cuz the guy knows everything and and i'm not one of those people like i i'm not going to talk about the photometrics and all that kind of stuff like i think being able to say i don't know everything and respect the people that are above you they're going to want to work with you and i didn't know anything on. Like what i'd never done lighting before all i was was an open book and i wanted to learn and i maybe he saw that and i'm very grateful for the opportunity
1: I was hoping you were going to answer that first question that way. Cause I wasn't sure if you're going to feel comfortable saying about that about yourself. And if you didn't, I was going to say it about you too. Like, and this is, I'm not just saying this to make you feel good. Like I th- think this is something a lot of people in production need to hear. You are absolutely right. Like you are, and I'm trying to remember the way I've said it much before I was Like, uh, Josh is one of those people. You just feel better being around him. Like you just, even the first time I met you, I'll be honest, like I'm a little bit more of an introvert and my first reaction to you, and I hope you take this as a compliment it's meant this way. At first, I was like, is he being fake? I didn't know. And then I saw it met you a second time, and I was like, no, that's just him. You just feel good being around Josh. And, and I'm, I'm, again, I'm, I'm giving you a compliment, but I'm also saying this because I want people to hear this. Like, and I've fallen in this trap so often in production where the guys are wearing black in the back of the room, we have been there for 12 hours. It's real easy to get a bad attitude about things. And there is never a valid reason to do that. I don't care how bad stuff is. You know, like, I guarantee, like, what got you that job? And then two things got you that job. You're a great LD. But number one, number two, you've got the personality to deal with that. You talked about the other guy that couldn't handle, you know, eleven shows in ten days or whatever it was in, in yeah. Asia. Um, yeah, I, I've actually had to do runs like that. Those suck, and I unfortunately learned after the fact, you know, and later in life, like how to try and keep a good attitude through that stuff. Yeah. So I, I think for younger production guys at churches, like if there's something I think they need to learn from Josh, it's just how to be a good hang, how to be somebody other people want to be around. That will open more doors for you than than any console you're going to have a program. That's true. Yeah,
2: it's good. And don't make that's somebody really cool. mad in this industry because I swear they know <laughs> everyone. <laughs> yes, you. Can, that's the last thing you want to do. Church related. Well, it's funny. Secular related. They all know each other.
0: Yep. Back to your back to your Mike eight hundred eight story. It's like if you had followed your assumptions down the road of. This guy isn't anybody. He doesn't even have a profile photo on Instagram, whatever. You would have missed out on how much opportunity because if you had made those assumptions, you wouldn't realize that he's actually operating a production farm of a lot of people who are doing a lot of amazing things. Huge. It's a great lesson.
2: By the way, if you ever get to, check out Production Club and look at what they do for Amazon because it is insane the technology that they put into the show
0: (laughs) its worth a look
1: i'm making a note
0: Yes, that's cool well josh this has been awesome to talk to you and i know a lot of people are going to walk away with um really helpful tips and tidbits and i just love hearing your story so um before we let you go what's the i mean i know the world of touring and events is shut down right now what are you hearing in terms of plans for next year Man, that that is a tough question,
2: actually, because I think it changes daily. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. It's it's kind of a a loaded question in a sense because I've enjoyed the time home. I've enjoyed the break. Mm-hmm. I've got to recharge. I've got to do some house renovations. But I very much miss being on the road and doing live events and seeing the people like immersed in that moment. And there's yeah. nothing like saying go house lights and the crowd goes nuts. That's something you'll never forget in a big room. Mm. And uh, in terms of when that's coming back, I I really don't know. I, I'm i yeah. hoping that early next year we see a big shift in what's okay and whatever that may be, how, how we do it, I don't know. Yeah. I'm hoping for a couple of maybe half house and we get to stay in the same city for a couple nights would be cool so well who knows?
0: I think that's that's true for a lot of things not just big tours but it's true for churches and sports yeah. and schools and everything right now so we're uh I think we're all kind of praying for the same thing but mm-hmm. uh, meanwhile it's been great to talk to you and we just appreciate your insight and you know Definitely. especially your skill obviously but um, thanks for thanks for taking the time to share some of your brain with us because I know that's going to mean mean a lot to a lot of people honored to be a part of it. So thanks for the invite and Daniel, thank you as always for your wisdom and experience. For those of you guys who don't know, um, there's some new content coming on MXU. Now, Daniel and his team have been recording some console specific videos. So you're going to learn more about the ins and outs of MA consoles, and I think. Vista as well? Did you guys dig in? We got in a to- few in there.
1: We got a few. We, 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 you know, so many churches already know so much about Vista. We didn't dive in super deep. But, yeah. Uh, and I'm not a Vista guy at all, but uh, Tyler on my team here is, is a guru. So he threw a few tidbits out there, just a few programming tricks he's That's used great. over the year that can make a little, it a little better for those of us that are, those that are still in Vista. Good. Here's um, my
0: tip. Get an M.A.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, for those of you who aren't on board with MXU Now yet, um, go check it out because we're adding content all the time and um, it's never been more affordable to become a part of the MXU Now tribe. So you can join for as little as $15 a month and we would love to have you come and be a part of our community and tribe as we kind of extend you know, the reach of not just topics, but um, the network because we know that uh, we're all better when we can learn from each other. So guys, thank you so much for being here today. We're we're grateful and we can't wait to see you again next time.
1: Can I close with one? and we'll put Josh in the spot right Okay, back. sure. Josh, next time we shoot some MXU videos, why don't you come up here and help me, uh, help me teach. You know, oh
0: boy. Yeah, let's yeah. do it. All
1: right. That yeah, man, would be there, great. There's a recording now, it's on.
0: It's, it's committed to tape now, so we have awesome. evidence. Good. <laughs> there we go. Well, thanks again, guys. We'll see you awesome. next time. See ya. See ya.